This is Pastor Matthew Harrison, President of the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod. The LCMS operates the second largest parochial school system in the United States. What can you expect from a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school? There's one race, the human race. And Jesus died for the sins of every man, woman, and child from every land and every nation. Life begins at conception. All life is precious from womb to tomb. And every student, parent, and teacher is created in the very image of God. There's right and wrong, and we know which is which from the Ten Commandments. There are only two sexes, male and female, he created them. Marriage is the lifelong union of one man and one woman. There's such a thing as objective, absolute truth, and it's found in the person and work of Jesus Christ and His Word. To find a Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod school near you, visit lcms.org schools. Yesterday, we interviewed Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, pastor's wife and homeschool mom, former professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University and author of the new book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. We talked about the first three lies, that homosexuality is normal, that it is better to be a spiritual person than a biblical Christian, and that feminism has been good for the world and for the church. Let's pick up where we left off with Dr. Butterfield's answer to my question How did we get from the first lie regarding homosexuality to the lie that transgenderism is also normal? That is so interesting. And I would pose it to you, even if you want to reflect on this for a moment, almost a question. How did we get from allies to groomers? What I mean by that is back in the day, the gay rights movement often would talk about the the need for allies that would be heterosexual people who would just agree, you know, love is love, we're all the same. And what they would become are allies to the movement because after all, consenting adults should be left alone. Well, you haven't heard that quaint phrase, leave consenting adults alone in about a decade. And what you see today in the transgender movement and the transgender political movement is the allies of the old gay rights movement are now here to supposedly advocate for the quote unquote trans child which as Christopher Rufo has pointed out is like a totem. It's a rallying cry for an evil generation. Now, you know, I certainly know that, you know, we are all born after the fall. We are, the sin of Adam is imputed into us. Transgenderism has many facets and one is gender dysphoria or gender anxiety. The medical analog to that is anorexia. People who are born with a dysphoric, relationship to their body. That's a horrible way to live. You would not want to live that way. I would not want to live that way. And I wouldn't want anybody I love or anybody on planet earth to live that way. But just like with anorexia, you wouldn't say, you just need to be affirmed in your dysphoria. You just need uh, you know, a sticker and a parade. This will make. That's what barbarians would do. And yet that's what we're doing. We also see that in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual, which has not always been the best place for conservative Christians to go for good advice. But even that very liberal approach to the medicalization of transgenderism, even that body of knowledge says that in 73% of the times, at minimum, a child with gender anxiety 
will naturally come through that if their um, if their natal puberty is not interfered with by either one of these things. The first is social transitioning. That's the use of transgender pronouns, fake names, cross-dressing, or two, cross-sex hormones. That's testosterone for women or estrogen for men, or of course, three, medicalization, castrating boys, giving girls a double mastectomy and a hysterectomy. And you are seeing the world we live in call that medical care, even though the APA on its own term says that is harmful and unnecessary because these things will desist if natal puberty is not interfered with. So the way we got from homosexuality is normal to transgenderism is normal is allowing a very sinful division between sex and gender to simply take its logical course. All transgenderism is, is the extension of the argument that says sex and gender are different. In the case of transgenderism, it says sex isn't even real <laughs> and gender is real. So you're you are assigned your sex, but my feelings, now those are real. So in the gay rights movement, we had a kind of crass expression that goes like this, you know, being homosexual means knowing who you want to go to bed with. Being transgender means knowing who you want to go to bed as. And so you can really see how the sin of envy is taking a pretty powerful root in the manifestation of transgenderism. But what you also see is that both homosexuality and transgenderism share a very important problem, and that is this. They both are rebelling against the created order. They both are saying that what God called good isn't good for them because their feelings dictate it. And so it is a little ridiculous. I mean, I don't think I know anybody on planet Earth who would say that our feelings are always pure and right and good or good for us. But somehow we've bought this terrible line of thinking when it comes with the identity moniker of transgenderism. In your time as an advocate for gay rights, how did you compromise with the language of the LGBTQ community? Well, I compromised all the time. But first of all, when I was an advocate, I wouldn't have seen it as compromise. In fact, I saw it as very useful. I often would say to my students, you know, words create worlds. Let's not use the words of the oppressor. The problem, though, is that I brought that line of, I didn't even think it in those ways, but I just brought the language of the left into my life as a Christian. And what that meant, what I was doing, and this is very sinful, and I repent of it in this book, is I would concede the moral language to the left, maybe using expressions like a gay man or a lesbian woman or transgender man or cisgender or sexual minority. And if you concede the moral language to the left, you act as though the Bible doesn't have a moral language. And I think that's part of where the whole side B gay Christian movement is simply stuck. And it's a terrible place to be stuck. If you believe that you were born this way, that you can't change, that the Bible doesn't offer any rescue, God can move mountains, cure your cancer, heal your broken bones, but somehow your feelings can't change. That is a little ridiculous, but 
that is definitely what the side B gay Christian movement would say. But what I think they don't, maybe to give them the benefit of the doubt, they don't realize that the stuckness isn't just in their feelings in their heart, but also in the language that they use. Because the language of the Bible is language that says, be born again, be a new creature in Christ. The old has passed away. The way that the Puritan Thomas Goodwin does it is he pictures a word picture where you are born in Adam, you're literally chained to Adam. And Adam is a giant and you've got these human beings just hanging from Adam in chains. And then when God justifies you, that chain is moved from Adam to Christ. And now you are chained to the giant Christ and you grow in sanctification and you don't look back. You don't look back. And a born again person is a new creation. But somehow side B gay Christianity won't see that that can happen to your feelings as well. And that's a really sad place to be in. So conceding the moral language to the left is a really bad move. And you see it in popular speakers who will confer upon the LGBTQ plus movement, a kind of, I don't know, creational order that isn't even logical. There's no such thing as a trans Christian. There's no such thing as a gay Christian. Of course, there's such thing as a Christian who struggles with the indwelling sin of homosexuality. Everybody struggles with some indwelling sin, but you're not cemented to that sin for life. Progressive sanctification means that the power of the resurrected Christ is given to you to go to battle against your sin. Think here about those great battles in C.S. Lewis's Narnia series. You know, there's a lot of grit and sweat and blood and tears that goes into battling our sin. And then after a season of that, that sin is smaller and your muscles are stronger and you can go do it again. So conceding the moral language to the left is the first act of defeat of a Christian. And we should not engage in that and we shouldn't allow our loved ones to either. Dr. Rosaria Butterfield is our guest. We're talking about our modern culture's lies about sexuality, faith, feminism, gender roles, and modesty. When we return, is transgender ideology, as she said before, rooted in the sin of envy? And if so, how? This is Molly Hemingway, encouraging you to listen to my favorite podcast, issues, etc. Every day you get in-depth interviews with host Todd Wilkin asking expert guests substantive, thought-provoking questions on all of the important news and issues of our day. The expert guests are in culture, law, ethics, philosophy, theology, and apologetics. Expert guests, expansive topics, always extolling Christ, issues, etc. Psalm 144.1 Blessed be the Lord my rock who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. Those serving in the armed forces want LCMS chaplains. We need courageous pastors to bring the gospel and sacraments to those protecting our nation, along with wise counsel and the peace found only in Christ Jesus. If you are between the age of 26 and 43 and have a heart for ministry in the armed forces, call 314-996-1337 or email lcmschaps at lcms.org. 
Listen to what you want, when you want. You're listening to Issues Etc. The weather is changing, the leaves are falling, and you'll soon be setting up your church's Christmon tree this Advent. But there's a problem. Remember, Aunt Mabel's Christmons are from the 80s. They're made of styrofoam, the glitter has dropped off, and they're being held together with toothpicks. Rush on over to Ad Crucem to fix the situation. We offer all the old designs and a whole lot of new ones. Visit adcrucem.com. That's A-D-C-R-U-C-E-M dot com. For your next family vacation, consider Our Beach House, a charming three-bedroom vacation rental on beautiful Siesta Key. Just off Sarasota, Florida, Siesta Key Beach, consistently voted America's best, is just 100 steps away. Whether you're watching the sunset over the Gulf of Mexico or frolicking in the warm surf, you and your family will fall in love with Siesta Key. Check us out at SiestaKeyRentalGenie.com or call Virginia at 941-266-1858. Welcome back to Issues Etc. I'm Todd Wilkin. Dr. Rosario Butterfield is our guest, author of the new book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. We're talking about those lies regarding sexuality, faith, feminism, gender roles, and modesty. Dr. Butterfield, you had mentioned earlier that the ideology of uh, transgenderism is rooted in the sin of envy. What do you mean by that? Yeah, absolutely. We should probably, just to be fair, identify that there are two ways of talking about transgenderism. One is a medical diagnosis of gender dysphoria, where it's like anorexia. You have a profound hatred of your body and you can't abide by it and you want to change it. You hate it. You want some other body. And envy is indeed what's being described there. But then also you have the social illness of transgenderism that you see rooted in literally every single government school in the United States ever since 2021, since the anti-bullying legislation demanded transgender ideology. And that's where you see things like rapid onset gender dysphoria. It's a social contagion. But envy is a predatory longing for that which is not rightfully mine. And it will slander, lie, steal, and murder to get what it wants. It is the active force of the violation of the 10th commandment. And Proverbs records that envy will ultimately rot the bones. It will ultimately destroy you. So what a compassionate Christian would do in the face of a person struggling with either the social contagion of transgenderism or the medical illness of gender dysphoria is you would help that person not envy. That's the very first of things. You would also get that person the help that they need, the counseling they need. You would, in the case of rapid onset gender dysphoria, what Abigail Schreier says is, oh, you've got a kid in public school, get him out. Where do you think the battery is? If you have a social contagion, figure out what the root is and cut it off at the root. But envy is a huge issue in transgenderism. You know, here's the thing about envy. It's the evil monster. And the more you feed it, the more you need to feed it. So from your first hit of testosterone 
a person who identifies as transgender will become a medical patient for life. And these gothic procedures that are called, quote unquote, transgender affirming care, you know, as my husband pointed out in a sermon recently, it's like Dr. Frankenstein met Dr. Mangala. It's so severe. And I say this as someone who does testify before my state legislature and speak at school boards. I get booed. I get hissed. I get harassed. And I meet people. And one of the people I meet are the parents, the parents who thought it was a good idea to castrate their 14-year-old son because their foolish therapist told them that. And I meet detransitioners. I meet people who believed this medical establishment and didn't see it as envy, but really believed that there was an end in sight, that all they had to do was take years of testosterone and cut off their breasts. And then I see them, and it's so sad. I see them before the state legislature and they're testifying. And you know what? The same mental illness and other comorbidities that led them to want to mutilate their bodies in the first place didn't go away because they did. And then I see the conservatives who are not Christian, who will hold up pictures of mutilated bodies as examples of what not to be. And that's where Christians just need to stay, take a big step back and say, wait a second, we don't throw people away. Even people who have made an absolute mess of their life. That is why we are Christians. That is why we have the gospel. The Lord Jesus Christ has come to save sinners. And people who are stuck in this sin of envy, who have heard the sweet message of the gospel, who commit their lives to Jesus, who repent of their sin of envy, of coveting, and of self-harm, and who believe in the gospel, have a hope that if even if as they seek to detransition on this side of heaven, even if they are not able to arrive at a place where they feel like they're back to being a woman or they're back to being the man that they were originally meant to be, the great news of the gospel is that we will all be glorified. And when our bodies are raised in the new heaven and the new earth, you are not going to be mutilated. There will be no sign of the sin of envy. You will be the man you were meant to be or the woman that you were meant to be because you can't mock God and nobody can mock God and God won't be mocked. And so I think the church has to be ready to receive people who are detransitioning and who they don't look the way they want to look. And it's an awkward season. It might be a very awkward, long season. The church has to be ready to walk beside them humbly and lovingly. Because unlike maybe some of the politicians you see out there who want to hold up these examples of what not to be, we're Christians and we don't throw people away. At the same time, we're Christians and we don't lie to people. We don't tell people that a little cross-dressing will help, a little testosterone will take the edge off. There's no problem with surgically removing their breasts. We don't lie to people like that. And a, a very good book to read if you haven't had a chance to discover this author, her name is Laura Perry Smaltz, and her book is From Transgender to Transformed. And she talks about how when she became a Christian after 10 years or more 
of living as Luke, full beard, testosterone, a lot of body mutilation. She went back to her conservative Christian parents and to the small conservative Baptist church that had prayed for her for all of those years, didn't use her pretend pronouns, didn't use her pretend name. And when asked, well, why aren't you in a more progressive church where you can be missional? Her response was so lovely and it was so, and it's just like, she is so lovely. It was so lovely. She said, why would I go back to the liars? I went back to the people who told me the truth. And I think we need to hear that, this side of this conversation. We will talk about the culture's lie regarding modesty as our conversation with Dr. Rosario Butterfield continues after the break. The church's music from the second century. The 6th century. The 12th century. The 16th century. The 21st century. The best of the church's music from the past 2,000 years. LutheranPublicRadio.org Your comprehensive source for information, teaching, and truth. You're listening to Issues Etc. The Biblical Worldview Conference is Saturday, November 4th in Chicago. This year's theme is, For Such a Time as This, Discernment, Boldness, and Compassion. Brian Wolfmiller, John Bombaro, and others will be speaking on gender-solid parenting, wokeism in schools, transgender pronouns, and sharing Christ in a woke culture. For more information, visit worldviewchicago.org. The Biblical Worldview Conference, November 4th in Chicago, worldviewchicago.org. At Memoria Press, the Simply Classical curriculum is specifically designed for students with significant learning challenges. This complete program includes everything you need for a school, self-contained classroom, tutoring, or homeschool to make a classical Christian education accessible for any child. To learn more, visit us at simplyclassical.com and use the coupon code LPR24 at checkout. Simply Classical, a beautiful education for any child. If you continue in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Dr. Russell Dawn, President of Concordia University, Chicago. Indeed, the quest for truth is at the core of a university's purpose. The liberal arts, illuminated by the revealed truths of Scripture, are powerful for equipping students for a life of self-governance. A disciple is one who follows the Master. So what does it mean to follow Jesus? 
He said that it means to take up one's cross. The cross is thus the symbol of dying for others, of dying to self for the sake of serving others. And a life of service is a life well lived. Truth, freedom, vocation. Concordia University, Chicago. cuchicago.edu. Welcome back. I'm Todd Wilkin. This is Issues Etc. We're talking about the culture's lies regarding sexuality, faith, feminism, gender roles, and modesty with Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, author of the book Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. How do you explain then the rapid onset of gender dysphoria? Not only how quickly it's come upon us, but now we even have a designation, rapid onset gender dysphoria. Yeah, it does have an official designation. The normalization of homosexuality the glamorization of homosexuality and transgenderism, the anti-bullying legislation, the Bostock decision, and the Biden administration's insistence that transgender normalization, humanizing, glorifying, glamorizing be literally part of an anti-bullying legislation that is part of every government school in the United States today. So Christians who want to be sentimental about public schools, you need to stop because you can't remove your child from an anti-bullying program. You can remove your child from sex ed, but the Biden administration put it into an anti-bullying legislation. So it's a surround sound falsehood that it's glamorous, it's wonderful, it's safe, it's no problem. And that would be transgenderism would be all these things. And you can't ask people to change because that was going to cause them to commit suicide. Now, we are in a surround sound of lies on what is good and what is evil, what is helpful, what is harmful, what is kind, what is harsh. And so the more that you can get your child out of that surround sound, the better. But And this is why I say in the book that those three exchanges in Romans 1 have been codified in Obergefell and Bostock, which means that Christians, if you want to protect your children from this, you need to develop right now a pretty healthy understanding of civil disobedience. You cannot be a soft presence here in Sodom and expect your children to be okay. It's not possible. And so rapid onset gender dysphoria seems to disproportionately affect teenage girls. And part of the reason is that as women, as young women, we have what's called more flexible ego boundaries. We tend more towards empathy than sympathy. So we are, as women, more likely to want to stand in your shoes than stand outside of your problem and fix the problem. And it seems like our whole culture has really fallen for this and believes that empathy is always better than sympathy when that's just not true. I mean, there are certainly some times to empathize. I mean, when you're sitting with a grieving friend, sit there quietly, that's very good, very needed. But many, many times in life, we need sympathy. And that means that you stand, I'm stuck in a river and I'm drowning Todd, please don't jump in with me, but stand on solid ground and throw me a rope. And that's what the gospel does. So 
I would say that rapid onset gender dysphoria, we know is a social contagion. And a social contagion comes from social settings where there are cultural conventions and demands being made. And you need to know what those are. And if you have a child in them, you need to pull them out. Part of the reason that I got involved in speaking before school boards, I don't send my kids to public school. I I homeschool my children, but I am a citizen. And I learned that the public schools were concealing a child's quote unquote transgender identity and providing hours of tic-tac on devices that parents didn't provide. And years later, the child would bring home tests and the test would have two different names. Like sometimes the child is Elizabeth and sometimes the child is Joseph. And I know one of these moms went to the school and said, why do I have Joseph's math tests? Only to find out that For the last two years, every day at school, her 12-year-old would walk through the door and no longer be Elizabeth, but would be Joseph. And the, the school had a policy of, quote, of concealing that from parents because of the belief that really, you know, they were in charge and they were, quote, unquote, protecting trans kids from their parents. Now, many of these children have comorbidities, some are on the autism spectrum, some are very easy to manipulate, at least in the cases in my neighborhood where I saw it personally, that's what was going on. So somebody needs to tell the public schools that enrolling a child in public school is not the same thing as making an adoption plan for a child. But Until we get this anti-bullying legislation out of your public schools, please, parents, stop using sentimentality to believe that everything's fine in the public schools. I understand 50 years ago, your grandpa was the principal and everybody prayed. That's a lovely history. That's not what time it is right now. Christians need to know what time it is. That is a mandate. And yes, I know that God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow, and that nothing constrains God, but time and structures do constrain you. So you need to know what time it is. But ever since the White House was lit up as a rainbow flag in celebration of the Obergefell win, we have seen the government encroach more and more in the lives of children in ways that are more and more harmful. Harmful for Christians and harmful for everybody else. Living in light of the creation ordinance is good for everybody. What changed your mind about pronouns? (laughs) The Holy Spirit. (laughs) So, I mean, as as a gay rights activist, using pronoun hospitality or pronoun compassion, whatever we called it, that was just standard. And in fact, I reflect back in my life when I was a lesbian and there were people in my life I, I didn't know. I only knew them in their drag persona. I didn't know what we would have called in the gay community dead name was. So some of it was just carelessness on my part, bringing in old habits from my old life. Some of it though, was this desire. Most of the people I knew who had gender dysphoria were pretty mentally ill and unstable. And when I meet a mentally ill and unstable person, In general, the first thing I don't want to do is cause them to like go off like a firecracker. So some of it was just like, hmm, common sense, just treat people 
kindly, meet them where they are, accept them where they are. But then the Lord really started to convict me that John 8, 31 is true, that we need to abide in the truth and the truth will set you free. And at the same time, social pressure started showing me that the transgender issue was only getting worse the more people were using transgender pronouns and not getting better. Furthermore, it seemed to me that it was just a big lie when you hear people like Preston Sprinkle and others say things like, well, I'm just using this as vocabulary. That just seemed like a big lie because why would somebody like Peter Vlaming, the French teacher in Virginia, lose his job over vocabulary? That guy lost his job because he refused to use false pronouns. And then as a foreign language teacher, he needed to teach that even nouns have gender and that's a binary. And he lost his job. And I thought, well, this is no longer about vocabulary. This is now about ideology. Then I was just curious. So then I was like, oh, no, no, this is a sin and I need to repent. And so I talked to some friends and I said, okay, I've been sinning. I need to repent. Because if you're not a public figure, you sin, you repent, and it's you've sinned privately, so you repent privately. But if you are a public figure and you've written this in books and articles and podcasts, well, then you need to repent publicly. So then I did that. And then, and then somebody said, but is it compassionate? Like, what about these unstable people? Is it not still kind to just call people what they say they are? And then I found the work of Miriam Grossman, and especially her book, Lost in Transnation. And it was so helpful. She's a psychiatrist. She's not a Christian. And yet what she said in the beginning of her book was so helpful. She said um, that she too, 25 years ago, always would use whatever person's name and pronoun because she just didn't want to further exacerbate an unstable person. But she realized that using false pronouns is an act of social transitioning. And social transitioning leads to cross-sex hormones, which leads to body mutilation. And so you can't do it. If you want to be kind, don't do it. If you want to be loving to your son, Jim, who wants you to call him Julie, don't do it. I mean, that's what the Bible says, but that's also what the psychiatric community would say, because it leads to more harm. So anyway, the Holy Spirit convicted me of my sin, and I did write uh, public repentance. I published it in an article up at Ref 21 in April of 2023, but it's also in the beginning of my book where I repent of that sin. And you know what? A host of other sins that I committed as a Christian. And Todd, I don't know if you feel this way, but I'm not on social media. I live most of my life just chopping vegetables and taking care of my family. But it strikes me as really strange that the evangelical community has met me with shock and awe that I repent of my sins. Like, of course I repent of my sins. Christians should repent of their sins. What right do Christians have to ask the world to repent if we won't? It makes no sense to me. So maybe you guys can explain that to me. So yes, I repented of that sin. And probably by the end of this podcast, I'll have something that I also need to repent of because that's what we do as Christians. Repentance is the threshold to a holy God. Every day I read the Bible and every day it crosses me. Every day it shows me that I'm a sinner and I need to repent and I need to grow to be more like Jesus. So that's what changed my mind, the Holy Spirit and the tsunami of the world that showed me that I was on the wrong side of this. 
I don't care about being on the wrong side of history. I just don't want to be on the wrong side of the Lord. The final lie, Dr. Butterfield, has to do with modesty. Does it hold women back? You really see this, especially again in broad evangelicalism, this, you know, don't tell me how to dress, don't tell me how to talk. And one of the things you really have seen in broad evangelicalism are women just getting eaten alive on Twitter and other forms of social media. And here's what's happened. Through the lies, homosexuality is normal. Through the lie, paganism is good. Through the lie, feminism is needed for the church and the world. Through the lie, transgenderism is, is a normal gender variant. What happened when all of those lies coalesced is that you had a situation where modesty was replaced by exhibitionism. And that never works well for women. It, it never has, and it never, ever, ever will. So that women owe their brothers the kindness of dressing modestly so that we don't cause our brothers to stumble. And that in likewise, our brothers owe us the kindness of protecting our reputations, that parents need to help their daughters dress appropriately and their sons to dress appropriately as well, but also to protect the reputations of their sisters, that churches have the right and the responsibility to ask people to conform to a modest style of dress. This would have been common knowledge before feminism took root in the church. It's just common knowledge. But part of being an older woman, I am now 61 years old. I am a grandmother. I am one of the mothers of Israel. I am a Titus II woman. Part of my job is to say things that are unpopular, but how we say them is important here. And I'm not talking about tone. I'm talking about context. Church, there are so many women who still believe these lies in the church. Titus II women, go and talk to them privately. Don't talk to them on social media because that social media requires that you become an exhibitionist in order to even start a conversation. So do so with modesty. And the way we do so with modesty is we value privacy. We value inviting a woman over to our home for tea. We value going and helping a younger woman when she's trying to get five loads of laundry done, homeschool children, and take care of a toddler. We talk privately. And then we hold as precious the conversations that we had. We don't tweet about them. We don't blog about them. We love people well enough to protect them. And that's really the spirit of modesty. And I believe that a lot gets done in privacy. I came to the Lord Jesus Christ from a life of a gay rights activist in the safe home of my then neighbor and friend, uh, my neighbors and my friends, Ken and Floyd Smith. They kept my confidences, they listened, they advised me, they taught me how to read the Bible. When I came to Christ, Floyd discipled me for the sole purpose of learning how to become a godly woman. And we talked about all kinds of things in privacy. So value, church, value privacy, because that models what a spirit of modesty holds out to a lost and to a dying world. 
and also to a very confused and stumbling church? The answer is in scripture. So I conclude the book with two appendices. One appendix is what the Bible is and what the Bible says. It's really how to read the Bible, which is something I had to learn. And the other is how to stay connected to your prodigal without becoming indoctrinated. Because that's a hard place to be, and that's where a lot of the people that are struggling in churches are right now. And we need to love them and help them and pray for them. Finally, what do you say to a Christian who still believes these lies? Yeah, well, I would say be a Berean. Hold up what you believe to the authority of Scripture. Allow the Holy Spirit, with the Word of God, probe into these lies. Usually people believe lies because they believe it's pragmatic to do so. At least when I believe a lie, that's what I'm saying. I mean, I don't know any Christian who wakes up in the morning and says, hey, I just want to be a dirty, rotten liar. No, no. We're hedging something. We're trying to be pragmatists or pluralists. But hold these lies up to the doctrines of God and then have the courage to stand where God is. And don't believe me. I mean, I'm not a theologian. Somebody said I was a theologian recently and I laughed. I'm an English professor. I know how to read a book. And I've struggled. I've read the Bible many times. I am married to a theologian. I am married to a pastor. And therefore, I have access to a really awesome library of his. But take whatever I've said here and ask your pastor, ask your elders. Be like a Berean and hold these lies up to the scrutiny of the Bible. Because the Bible isn't just the words of Christ. It is. It is the words of Christ. It is the word made flesh. But the Bible is a living book. It reads us as we read it. The Bible knows us better than we know ourselves. So hold all these lies up. Stop just repeating them like some kind of a mantra. Hold them up and let the Bible scrutinize them and see where you are. Ask for help. But my strong suggestion is be in a good church. Be under the preached word, the pure word. Be in a church where pastors and elders aren't afraid. Read more of the Bible than you do blogs. Spend more time in the word than you spend it on social media. And see if your mind isn't clearing up because the truth does set you free. That doesn't mean that you're not a voice crying in the wilderness. That doesn't mean that you don't lose friends and maybe lose jobs. I understand that you will lose things. The truth is in fact a double-edged sword, but God will protect you through all of that as he has me and as he has the church. So hold these lies up to the pure word of God and then make a decision. Dr. Rosaria Butterfield is a pastor's wife and homeschool mom, former professor of English and women's studies at Syracuse University. She's author of the new book, Five Lies of Our Anti-Christian Age. You'll find a link to this book at our website, issuesetc.org. Click Talk On Demand Archives. Rosaria, thank you very much. Todd, thank you so much. I really enjoyed talking with you this afternoon. 
Thursday on Issues Etc. We'll look forward to Reformation Sunday with Pastor Peter Bender. We'll have Pastor Tom Baker lead us in a Sunday school lesson on Elijah and the prophets of Baal in 1 Kings 18. And we'll respond to your email, talkback at issuesetc.org and the Issues Etc. comment line 618-223-8382. I'm Todd Wilkin. Thanks for listening. Listen weekday afternoons to Pastor Todd Wilkin and guests on Issues Etc. Issues Etc. is a listener-supported program. Your financial support is vital for the continuation and expansion of this worldwide outreach. Our mailing address, Issues Etc., P.O. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. Box 83, Collinsville, Illinois, 62234. You can also donate at our website, issuesetc.org. Issues Etc., is a production of LPR, Lutheran Public Radio.